So welcome to week three of our preaching series called God and Money. And we asked the question last week, why ruin a perfectly good sermon by talking about money? And as we heard, Jesus has had a lot to say about money. Following Jesus by definition, being a disciple is learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And we heard last week that there's a very good reason that Jesus spoke about money. It probably occupies most of our waking hours. Why? Well, when we're in school, in college and university, we are learning how to make money. And then we spend the rest of our lives learning how to, well, actually making the money and make more. And then we spend the rest of our waking hours spending the money. And it would be kind of weird if we spent our whole lives around this thing and God who created us had nothing to say about it. So this series is asking the question, what does God have to say about money? Two weeks ago, Craig spoke to us about the fact that God owns everything that we have. And the best way for us to see our relationship to our resources is that God is owner, we are stewards or we are managers. Even if you made your money, even if you went and studied, and even if you sacrificed greatly, God is the one who gave you the abilities. God is the one who gave you the talents. God is the one who gave you the street smarts or the book smarts or the opportunities in order for you to take those opportunities. So going forward, we're continuing to ask, what does God have to say about our money? And so not surprisingly, When Jesus talks about money, most of the time he's not saying do this, invest there, do that. He's talking about the role it plays in our hearts. And therefore up to now and including today, we're going to be talking about the role money plays in our hearts. Now, have you ever thought about what you would own if you never knew what other people thought you should own? We call it advertising. All right, if there's no such thing as advertising, have you ever thought what you wouldn't have bought and needed to return or sell for less than you bought it, right? Or question number two, have you ever thought about what you would own if you never knew what your friend owned? All right, you never felt the pressure of going to the home and seeing the beautiful couch or the beautiful TV or the beautiful car. If we're just immune somehow from advertising and comparison, what would we own? And maybe would our lives look very different? And we get in our, newspa- in our post box every single week, we get two community newspapers. And by weight, I'd say about 70% of the newspaper is advertising. And it's not just in the newspapers. Um, I mean, you buy something from takealot.com and next minute you're getting two emails a week from takealot.com telling you to buy things that five minutes ago you never thought you needed. Yuppiechef.com sends me an email twice a week. Here's our new line of whatever. And five minutes ago, I was completely content. And now I absolutely must have a nonstick cutting board. But Steve, you never slipped on your cutting board. Why do you? No, no, no. I need that. Right? I absolutely need that. You're totally cool with your car. And then you find out your friend bought a new car. And suddenly your car isn't looking too good anymore, Right? And sometimes I'm on my way to work and I know that my lunch for the day is a peanut butter sandwich. And I'm totally happy with my peanut butter sandwich until one of those demonic boards that get dragged around uh, on a trailer with a big picture of a steak drives past. (laughs) And suddenly my peanut butter sandwich isn't looking too good anymore. All right? I mean, and this is in everything. This drives so much. There's so much science that actually goes into the industry of making you want things. I was watching something on bbc.com the other day talking about the science of advertising. 
and particularly when it comes to your phone. All right, and, and we think we just freely download apps and we just freely like choose phones, but particularly there's a science and they call it persuasive design. Where advertisers and designers of phones and apps tap into that part of your brain responsible for forming habits and addictions. Here's an example. So you send a text to somebody and as far as you know, you send the text and you're quite happy to wait for the text to come. But then you see the little flashing ellipsis. You know the one I'm talking about. So what do we do when the little flashing ellipsis comes up? Because we were quite happy for the phone to just alert me when the text comes in. But when the flashing ellipsis comes on, what are we doing? We're just staring. What's going to come? And it's actually doing something to you. It's doing two things. It's creating anxiety within you that you need to see satisfied. What are you going to say? Are they going to make it? Did she say yes? Is the meeting on? Did we get the deal? So I'll land up looking at this flashing ellipsis. Again, cell phone designers could have eliminated that and just let you know when the text actually comes in. But no, 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 we're watching the flashing ellipsis. All right, and this anxiety builds up within us as well as the uh, um, anticipation which prepares our dopamine cycle in our brain for release. And what happens when the text comes in? A little, dope, little bit of dopamine goes through our brain. You go, yes. And, and, and we thought we were in control, right? We thought we were in control of our cell phone habits. We thought we were in control of our habits. We thought we were in control of our buying habits. And all of this comes down to what we call FOMO. All right, FOMO, fear of missing out. So again, without advertising and without knowing what my friends have and without some of these persuasive designs in my life, I would have been quite happy without A, B, C, and D. But suddenly, the, 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 the yuppie chef thing comes in, the take a lot email comes in, I see the steak on the billboard, I see the pick and pay thing, and suddenly, I, whoa, maybe if I had that, then I'd be happier. And I walk into my friend's home and I see all the things they have and suddenly I've got FOMO. Like maybe I'm missing out on some happiness. Maybe I'm missing out on some joy. And if I had those things, then I would be happy. And it's always going to come down to it. Maybe that's going to solve my problem. And so we spend. And guys, let me tell you, here we are in 2018 talking about, you know, um, a purposeful design or whatever you called it. Uh, this is nothing new. In fact, for thousands of years, the chief contender for meaning and purpose and ultimate value, aka God, in our lives has been stuff, possessions, money. For as long as there have been human beings, this has been the chief contender in our hearts for the primary place of God in our lives. And this is why Jesus talks about it so much. And this is why he talks about the heart so much. One of the places that Jesus talks about this is in his greatest sermon, probably the sermon that has done more to shape people and shape culture and shape society than any other single sermon in the world ever preached by anybody. The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, in brief, is a sermon where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the virtues and the values and the nature of the kingdom of God. But he doesn't just talk about the kingdom of God in a vacuum. He's always showing the subversive nature of the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus doesn't come in on a horse with a, with a sword and armies and force people. There's a subversive nature. So he's always showing the kingdom of God versus other kingdoms. 
And when Jesus talks about money, he does exactly the same thing. So let's see what Jesus had to say about this. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, first book of the New Testament. Again, if you have no clue where it is, there's no shame in just finding that index page and turning there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. And we're just going to walk through those verses. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Slap bang in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're going to stop there for now. So Jesus is talking about the value of storing up things on earth. That's this kingdom. Versus storing up things in heaven. It's kingdom of God. So again, showing how the kingdom of God subverts the kingdoms of the earth. Storing up treasures on earth versus storing up eternal treasures in heaven. Now what he's not saying, he's not saying it's a bad thing to have a healthy bank account. He's not saying, you know, we see many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, godly, righteous, wealthy people. And, and that's not a bad goal to have, to, to be responsible with what God has, me, has given me and to be responsible and to be faithful and to be godly. He's not saying it's wrong to have a healthy thing, but Jesus is saying, if that's your goal, if you're gonna be driven by those piles of money, you're being incredibly short-sighted. So some questions that rise up, oh, well, Stephen, is there anything wrong with having a savings account? Is there anything wrong with thinking about my children's future? Providing for their education. Is anything wrong with providing for even my children's children? Having an investment or a trust that is going to help them. And if anything, the Bible actually says those are great things to do. It is actually a good thing to do to think about your future. It is a good thing to save. It is a good thing to be thinking about your children. It is a good thing to be thinking about your children's children if you're able to. But the point is not that we're not short uh, that we're not thinking about the long term he's saying that we're not thinking long enough we're not thinking long enough see if you kind of want to get control of your finances you go sit down with a financial advisor generally what they say is guys what you need to get over is the impulse to buy everything you see today all right so you need to think long term don't just think about today you need to think about three months time You need to think about three years' time. And in fact, the financial advisors will tell you, no, 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 you need to be thinking about 30 years' time. And Jesus is saying, that's not long enough. Not only do you need to be thinking about 30 years' time, you need to be thinking about 30 million years' time. We need to have an eternal view of our finances, an eternal view of our resources. So in verse 19, when he talks about do not store for yourselves, he's not saying these things are bad. But we're not thinking long term enough. But what he is saying is these things are uncertain. Doesn't matter what you have, it can be taken from you. He says, you know, your clothes, moths can come in and eat your clothes. Even, it doesn't matter what you own. I mean, you live by the coast, your car just gets eaten by rust constantly. You're always needing to fix your home. You're always needing to fix the pool. You're always needing to sort that out, all right? These things actually get eroded and corroded, all right? Thieves come in and take what you have. So if you want the things you have to be your platform of stability, you're looking in the wrong place. I mean, just this year, 
Um, it, it is actually kind of weird because my folks and I, uh, well, my, my mom and dad and myself and Bianca, um, my dad suggested the idea, hey guys, you know, why don't you think about a new car? And we're like, no, there's just no way we can think about that, just where we are in our phase of life. Anyway, it was the night before, we were coming back from holiday on the south coast, so we packed the car, we wanted to early leave, like four o'clock in the morning, packed the car filled with everything. Next morning, there's a quick cup of coffee, get the cooler box, walk outside, car with everything in it is gone. I thought my dad was maybe playing a trick on us, trying to, you know, get things going, but no, no, no. It wasn't that. Just so you know, um, the guys who stole the car crashed the car, so we got the car back. Uh, But the point is, it's uncertain. Jesus could have carried on, you know. Moths come in, and rust comes in, and thieves come in. He could have spoken about recessions. He could have spoken about floods. He could have spoken about 2008. He could have spoken about unwise investments. He could have spoken about things that were a sure deal that didn't work out. He could have spoken about corrupt people. He could have spoken about corrupt people in your family. He could have spoken about any of these things. These things are uncertain. And even if you are able to reach the ripe ripe old age when you do die, even if you still have everything you ever wanted, you can't take it with you. Psalm 49 verses 16 to 17 says, Do not be overawed. When a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. So there's a joke about a guy who gets given this like sort of golden ticket from heaven. He kind of says, you know, when you die, you can take one thing to heaven with you. Whatever you want, you choose one thing. So he's a wealthy guy. So he says, you know what? I want to take all of this with me, but I needed to get it into one kind of commodity. So he sold everything that he had. He took all of his cash and he converted it into pure gold. And he got all this pure gold uh, kind of into one giant gold bar. The day came when he died and up to heaven he went with his gold bar. And as he got to the pearly gates, there's St. Peter and there's the angels and they look at him and they're like, sorry, you're not allowed in with that. And he said, well, actually here's my sort of, you know, little thing from Jesus saying I can take this in with me okay so what is it no it's this gold bar and St. Peter and the angels are laughing at him because they're saying what you could take anything to heaven with you and you brought paving stones (laughs) Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest people who have ever lived and after he died someone asked his accountant so how much did he leave and the accountant answered everything (laughs) takes times and times (laughs) see we can't take it with us and even the stuff that we have when we die other people fight about our stuff okay just that's a free one for you so Jesus is saying when it comes to your stuff when it comes to your investment don't just think about three years 30 years time think about 30 million years time Have a long-term view, have an eternal view of these treasures of yours, of your investment. And guys, that's not just an emotional decision or or an emotional argument. That's a logical argument. That's a logical argument. Uh, Randy Alcorn, whose book we're using for this series, he says, we can't take stuff with you, but we can send it forward. We can send it forward. Here's an analogy for you. Imagine, and I'm going to kind of make this up, so... Please don't go sell any shares after today's sermon. Um, just imagine you, all of your money, all of your investments was in Bitcoin. 
Okay. I know some of you are giggling there, but just imagine all of your investment was in Bitcoin and imagine you knew by the end of this month, Bitcoin is going to crash bad. Now, number one, you'd be a fool if you knew that for certain, you'd be a fool to leave your money in Bitcoin. But imagine you knew something else that no one else knew. Somehow you knew that there was this other company that was going to have a meteoric rise and they were going to carry on rising and carry on rising and, you know, there would be no bubble. They just carry on growing and decades later, they would be huge, like kind of like the next Google. And somehow you had certain inside knowledge that they were the next big thing. Not only would you be foolish to leave your money in Bitcoin, you'd be absolutely foolish not to put all of your money into that company. All right? And what Jesus is saying, that is how we are when it comes to the things of this world versus thinking about our treasures in heaven, the eternal value, the certain nature of the treasures of heaven. We need to be thinking about that. Just to come back to one of the verses that we already looked at last week, 1 Timothy 6 verses 18 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, and this is what we spoke about last week. It's not about wealth, that's not the problem, it's where our hope is. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, there it is again. But you put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, let's read the next verse. Command them, so the kind of idea continues, command them to do good, and to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now listen. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. This is, again, reinforcing this idea of the coming age, of how we are gonna lay up for ourselves treasures of eternal value. This is the only sure investment we have. Everything we are investing in in this world will not be here in 100, 200 years to come. Everything. Those 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 years are a blip on the time scale of history. So we are going to be looking to eternity. Now, something that often isn't spoken up around much in church uh, comes up in a very well-known story that Jesus tells the stories in Matthew 25 and even if you're not really religious uh, you probably have heard the story in some form or another Matthew 25 Jesus is teaching on judgments in other words again he's just taking our minds away from today he's getting us to think about eternity in particular his coming and what that's going to be like so he tells four stories to help us understand what that coming is going to be like And one of the stories he tells, and again, he kind of pushes himself as the master, this master who is wealthy and who's rich and he owns much. And he says he's going to go away on a long journey. So he wants things to continue. He wants his farm to carry on working for him. He wants investments to work for him. So he takes three of his top employees. He takes one servant and he gives them five talents of money. Now a talent in this time was an actual amount of money. It's not just a metaphor for everything. We can think about it metaphorically, but literally a talent was a large sum of money. So he takes five portions of this large sum of money, he gives it to one guy. He takes two and he gives it to another servant. And he takes one talent and gives it to a third servant. 
The one he was given five, the scriptures say that he went at once and put it to work. In other words, he started taking what his master had given him and he started making it work and he produced another five. He was given five, he produced another five. All right, the one who was given two did the same thing at once. He went to work, he was given two, he produced another two. And when the master comes back, the master says to these two, to the five and to the two, he says this, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now again, we can't just put this into the pile of like bedtime stories. Jesus is trying to depict a reality when he comes back to us. And he says, here's what I gave you. Here are the financial resources I gave you. Here are the hours and the minutes of the day that I gave you. Here are the time and the talents that I gave you. Here are the abilities I gave you. Now, what have you done? And to those who are faithful with their time and those who are faithful with their talents and those who are faithful with their treasures, Jesus, in a time in history, comes to us and he says, well done. And he says, hey, you've been faithful with these small things. I'm going to make you, make you responsible for many things. That's reward. In fact, we find out later in the story, uh, we're going to find out that the guy who was given one wasn't faithful. He says, take away from him and give it to those who were faithful. And this is what isn't often spoken about in church, is that there is a reward for our faithfulness. There is an eternal reward for our faithfulness and in this case for how we are faithful with what God has entrusted to us now some of us maybe think well Stephen is is that okay is it okay to sit in church and to think about you know being faithful because I'm going to get a reward is it okay to be motivated by reward I mean we kind of do that as parents you know like kids eat your vegetables and you can have a cookie all right if you don't eat your vegetables no cookie but if you eat your vegetables there's a reward We have it in the workplace. If you meet these sales targets, you will get the bonus or you will get the overseas holiday, whatever the case might be. It's quite a familiar part of how we think. But somehow we think in God's plan, we must do things for pure reasons and pure motives. No, I'm not going to do it for reward. I'm just going to do it because, you know, I'm lovely and uh, Jesus is lovely. So how are we to think about rewards and being motivated by rewards? Well, I love the way John Piper put it because one thing we cannot escape that there are going to be rewards. We cannot escape it. It comes up time and time again in scriptures. In fact, the, the verses that we looked at this morning, the way it puts us is in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's kind of weird, right? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the rewards that God is talking about. And the way John Piper put it, he said this, we don't do it for rewards. We do it for the kind of God who rewards We understand that? We take the fact that we do it for our Lord in one hand and the fact that our Lord is a good God who rewards and for that reason we see Him as an even better God and then we do it for the kind of God who rewards. So that's the one side of our eternal picture of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But in this parable, there's another side. And the five, you know, they were rewarded. The the guy who was given two, he was rewarded. But the guy who was given one, it says that he was afraid. So he went and he buried this talent. He buried this amount of money. And the master comes back 
And he says this. You wicked and lazy servants. Isn't that a bit harsh? I mean, what is the guy guilty of? I mean, was he guilty of adultery? Was he guilty of uh, corruption? Was he guilty of kind of murder? Or uh, was he a pedophile? Or did he, was he the architect of you know, the Holocaust? No, no, no. The only thing he was guilty of was not being faithful with the things that God had entrusted into his hands. And again, the time is coming where not only will those who are faithful receive a reward, but those of us who are unfaithful are going to be held accountable. I think there's a couple of things going on here. Number one, it actually says in the text that this guy didn't see God as the good God. This guy didn't see God as the come and share in my joy, which is one of the things he says to the five and the two. He says, come and share in my joy. He didn't see, he saw his boss as kind of a, a strict, mean guy. He was wrong, but that's how he saw him. And I think sometimes the reason why you and I aren't faithful with the things that God gives us, we see him as this mean guy up there. We don't see him as the kind of God who gives reward. We don't see him as the kind of God who says, come and share in my joy. Ah, he just wants things from me. As opposed to what God is doing in the bigger picture. No wonder we are not faithful with the things that God gives us. But I think there's another thing going on there. Remember, this guy was given one talent, also a large amount of money. But I reckon he was looking at the guy who was given two. And then look at the guy who was given five. And he's like, what the heck? Like, maybe if I had two talents, then I could do something in the kingdom. Or maybe if I was given five talents, then I could be faithful. And again, I think our hearts are more like that than not. You know, when I have these things, when I get that degree, when I have that amount of money, when I have that car, when I've got that home, then I can afford to be faithful. But between now and then, all I'm going to do is climb the ladder until I get there. And I'm not going to be counted faithful. Again, it's FOMO. I don't want to miss out on what other people have. So I compare myself. And when I compare myself, I miss out on what God is calling me to do now, today, with what He has entrusted into your hands. So as we think about eternity, we're thinking about this time. And maybe you're thinking, well, Stephen, you know, I thought, you know, I'm a Christian. I thought I'm not going to be judged in this way. Well, we're not talking about losing your salvation. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? This is not about losing your salvation. This is about losing your reward. Not about losing your salvation. This is about losing your reward. A passage that is worthwhile you taking home and reading and studying and underline, underlining and, and praying through with God is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it talks about two types of people, both believers. It talks about people who build their fund, lives on the foundation of Christ. So it's talking about two types of believers. It says the one type build their life made out of stone, uh, sorry, hay and straw. 
The other person builds their life out of silver and gold and precious stones. All right, and, and this, is what, this is what happens. It says here in verse 13, his work, both of these people's work will be shown for what it is. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. What does fire do to hay and wood and straw? Burns it up. What does it do to gold and silver and precious stones? It purifies it. It will be revealed. In other words, our works, our lives will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. There it is again. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Now, does that mean he's kicked out of heaven? No, no, no. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. It's quite a sobering thought. It sobers me up that I'm going to be standing in front of God while I've got more than some and less than others. And God's going to hold me accountable to what he gave me. And the time and the intelligence and the abilities and the resources and the opportunities he gave me. And the challenge is, Lord, is it, is it you know, hay, straw? It's going to be destroyed in fire. Why am I being faithful? Will I receive reward or will I suffer loss and be held accountable? This is why Bill Hybels, he says this, those of you afflicted with affluence will one day be grateful I challenged you the way I did. Because he knows that all of us will face God in this way. Which brings us now, going back to Matthew 6, verse 21, our last verse for the day. Spoken about, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus knows something. He knows that we can't just somehow take the treasure of one thing out of our hearts. We can't just displace it we need to replace it. He knows that I can't just take a sin or a thing or a person in my life that I'm holding up as God and I can't just somehow get rid of it. I need to put something else in its place that I find to be a greater treasure that's gonna give me greater joy, that's gonna give me greater meaning and purpose. A guy called Thomas Chalmers called this the expulsive power of a new affection. I can't just say no to things. I've got to say yes to Jesus. So the real question this morning for us is this. Not how do we say no to things? And not, are we going to feel guilty for enjoying some of the things? As we heard last week, you know, the things that God gives us is, is for our enjoyment. It's, it's, uh, uh, these are things from God. It's not somehow how do I become the stoic person who doesn't enjoy life? The question is this, do you ultimately enjoy God? Do you treasure Him? Do you treasure His kingdom? It's the way Jesus put it. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all these other things, they'll be given to you. It's not about this or that, it's about this before that. Are we getting that? Do you treasure God? Do you treasure his kingdom? Do you enjoy Jesus? 
I'm not asking, do you go to church? Because people can sit in church for a very long time without enjoying Jesus. I'm not asking, do you tick the Christian box on a form somewhere? I'm asking, do you enjoy him? Do you treasure him? Because here's the thing. You will naturally, no one has to tell you this, you will naturally sacrifice greatly for the thing you treasure most. If the thing you treasure most is your looks, you will sacrifice family time, you will sacrifice budgets, you will sacrifice sleep in order to make your looks what you think they ought to be. All right, if, if your greatest treasure is some hobby, you will sacrifice greatly. You'll sacrifice family time, you'll sacrifice money, you'll sacrifice kingdom time for your hobby. No one has to tell you to do that. You'll just do it because you treasure it. But if Jesus holds that spot and we are tasting and seeing that he is good and he's opening our eyes to his kingdom, we walk around the face of this earth with an awareness to his presence, to what he's doing, his lordship, the opportunities he's calling us to. And we're enjoying it. We're not doing it because Steve preached a sermon. I'm doing it because I love him. Then we will sacrifice greatly for his kingdom. And if that is true, if we will sacrifice greatly for the thing we treasure most, think about this. What did Jesus sacrifice for you? Jesus paid the unpayable, the ununderstandable, biggest debt of his own life for you. That tells you that Jesus sacrifices for his treasure. That tells you that you are his treasure. Timothy Keller, who again, just a great way with words. He says this, when you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. It's the heart. So as you start wrapping this one up, I want us to start thinking about this. Maybe you, if you're honest, you're saying, you know, Stephen, I, I don't. I don't treasure Jesus' kingdom above these other things. I don't treasure the presence of God above these other treasures in my life, but I want to. And I want to pray for those of us who are saying, Stephen, you know what, here's a truth moment, but I want to. I want to pray that God will empower us that God would deepen our love for him. He would open up the lens, the eyes of our heart in order to see him in 3D and in color so that we do appreciate the sacrifice as he made you his treasure. And that sinks past our minds and we start to know it in our hearts. So we know him, know him, know him. I want to ask that God does that. Some of us do have the option this morning to say, nah, I'm going to carry on treasuring these other things above God's kingdom. But it was my job this morning to show you, to beg you to understand that it's not me who's going to hold you accountable. The master, the king, will hold you accountable. 
And again, the opportunity this morning, not just to kind of acknowledge the truth, but to actually choose to lay down our treasures. Doesn't mean never enjoying them. So order a priority. So I want to invite you to pray with me. We're going to ask God to be showing us, as there are about 300 people here this morning, what is God wanting to say to you? So let's pray. I want to encourage a spirit of openness, not to me, but to the spirit of Jesus. And in some form or another, to pray a prayer like Jesus, would you speak? Through all this stuff, my head's turning and spinning and I don't really know what's up and what's down, but I'm asking you to speak. Just prepare yourself to be receptive to the voice of the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you're protecting some of us from condemnation. You are here to speak to us. You are here to speak truth to us, but you're not here to condemn us. Protect us from condemnation. But on the other hand, would you speak truth to us? Holy Spirit, I pray that you're showing all of us where we look to something else as our treasure. Where we've maybe sought to invest in three years' time or three hours' time over and above 30 million years from now. And church, if, if that is you, I, I want you to make a decision. I don't think we can be gray on this. The decision is either, Lord, I want more of your kingdom in my life. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You're either going to be praying that or you're going to be ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. And in your own way, between you and God, Lord, I want to enjoy you more. I want to know you more. I want you to move from an idea to a person. I want you to move from teacher to Lord. I want you to move from this person in the pages of history to a person who is inviting me to be his friend. A good father who is inviting you to enjoy them as his son and his daughter. And I want you to just, in your own way, say yes to that. In your own way, I want more of that. And now the next question is, what are you going to lay down? What are you going to lay down? Again, not saying you're never going to. I know a friend of mine, God asked him very clearly, stop surfing. He was almost pro. God said, put your surfboard away. But three years later, God said, you can pick it up again. But he was in a very different space. He was serving God with his life. What do we need to lay down? What do we need to say no to in order to say yes to Jesus? How are we going to shift our priorities? And Holy Spirit, I pray two things. I pray that you're speaking clearly. And number two, I pray that you would empower us 
to live this. Not under the sense that God is this judge up there who doesn't want his best for me, but rather I'm going to be enjoying him more. Holy Spirit, I pray that you are going to allow us as we walk out of this place this morning with a fresh joy, a fresh hope, fresh love in our hearts, a fresh experience of you, God, the living God. We get to treasure you in your kingdom and your ways. God, this prayer goes long beyond the confines of our service times. And I pray that you would continue speaking to us, continue leading us, continue calling us, continue revealing yourself to us. In Jesus' name.